Hi, good morning, church. To all in the house and all who are watching at home, it's a privilege. Let me just say, uh, Daniel and I are humbled, are very humbled and privileged to be able to share uh, God's Word with all of you this morning. Um, I, I don't consider myself to be Joel's boss. Um, rather, if I, if, I, if I were to think of myself in terms of be a friend, a sister in Christ, a co-laborer, a soldier, uh, and uh, yeah, just a gospel partner. And let me just say that uh, it's been uh, such a privilege to have uh, Joel in particular serve in Scripture Union. Uh, it, for those of you who might be hearing uh, about Scripture, I'm sure you've heard of it, but, but for those of you here hearing about Scripture Union for the first time, uh, we are uh, an NGO, Christian NGO that reaches out to students and youths in schools and in churches. And just let, let me uh, say that uh, we are so grateful uh, in these past few years to be able to have Joel with us. Uh, I honestly don't know what the team would do without him. Uh, and so I praise God and thank God for him. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, applause should be, should be given. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, maybe a little bit more about myself. Uh, Daniel and I, so my husband and I, Daniel, we have been married to, for six coming to seven years now. Yeah, he's an amazing husband. Yeah, uh, I'm really thank God for him too. Um, we serve in St. Mary's Anglican Cathedral. Uh, I think it, both of us have been serving in our home church for, uh, for myself, about 15 to 16 years. I think for Daniel, about 11 to 12 years, uh, something to that, to that effect, uh, in various ministries. I think our hearts, of course, aside from ministering uh, God's Word to youths, uh, we have a heart for outreach, for evangelism, especially those whom you will not see at your church's doorstep. So what we do quite a bit uh, is reaching out to those who are ill, those who are hospitalized, those who, uh, who perhaps will never get the chance to come to church and to share Christ with them. That's one of our, our heartbeat, one of our passions. Uh, aside from that, of course, we are also very passionate about our work with the refugee communities in the Klang Valley and also, of course, across uh, West Malaysia. And we work very closely with our brothers and sisters in Christ from various ethnic groups uh, from Myanmar. Um, we don't have children. Uh, although we have children that are not our own, <laughs> uh, but we do have a fur kid, and his name is uh, Wawa. Uh, he, we call him Wawa because we discovered along the way, of course, that he was supposed to be a chihuahua, but now he doesn't really look like a chihuahua. He looks like a mouse deer or something like that, so he's Wawa, okay, not chihuahua. Um, and excuse me, for those who are seeing um, a meeting for the first time online and in the house, you might find that it's weird for somebody to wear dark glasses indoors. Let me tell you, I think it's weird as well. Uh, but the reason I'm doing so, I think, is for your benefit and mine. Uh, due to an ongoing illness that I've been suffering from for the past, um, I think, six years now, uh, I lost a big part of my eyesight. So I am visually impaired, or what they call OKU lah, uh, in Malaysia, so it's easy to understand. Uh, yeah, so I remember a colleague telling me that when you wear dark glasses and when you preach, it's less distracting. Somehow my eyes look weird when I, when I, when I preach. I'm very self-conscious about it. Yeah, so for my benefit and for yours. Yeah? Now, I, um, I'm very, very happy that this morning I've been asked to share on the topic of the significant life, right? A very, a very apt topic to be thinking about, uh, just one Sunday post uh, Resurrection Sunday or post Easter, isn't it? Now, we would all agree uh, that a significant life is a life that is lived with meaning and with purpose, all right? A significant life is a life that has meaning and purpose. And so if you're online or if you're here and you're able to talk to someone, uh, maybe you have to talk a bit louder because huh, we're sitting apart with social distancing, I want you to ask yourself this question, all right? That thing that's coming up on the screen. What do you think makes life worth living and 
why? Alright, you can you can you can talk, you can type your answers in the chat, I think, and, and you can talk to each other as well. What do you think makes life worth living and why? I right, give you all a moment, huh? To 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 talk among yourself or to talk online. Or maybe just a moment even to consider and to think about this question. What do you think makes life worth living and why? Now, a wise Christian woman once said, There is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. It's Elizabeth Elliot, huh? some of you may have read her books. There is nothing worth living for unless it is also worth dying for. So perhaps let us rephrase that question, right? The question we started with, what makes life worth living? And instead, ask the question, what is worth living for and dying for? Let me say this, uh, if we are all Christians, right, and we are, we've all been going to church all our lives, maybe the first automatic answer we will give is Jesus, of course. But if what is truly worth living for and dying for in your life and mine is Jesus, then it will strongly impact our priorities, our decisions, each and every moment of our waking hour, our speech, our actions, and even our innermost thoughts and desires. Is Jesus really what you consider worth living for and dying for? Before we dive into God's Word, I thought I would let you examine uh, the life of a particular character. Uh, he's from a cartoon, I think, or animated or film. And I want you to take a look at his life, just a short snippet, I think about three minutes of his life, and you tell me what he thinks is worth living and dying for. So I think there's a video coming up. Enjoy. Since we're talking about movies, you can watch again and again. Maybe this is one.
another movie to add to your movies to watch again and again list, right? Ice Age and its sequels, all right? Now, the character that we witnessed just now, his name is Scrap, right? So he's a prehistoric rat, right? Some, some kind of prehistoric rat that lived during uh, long before. Uh, and let me ask you a question. After watching this, aside from being very entertained, right? Here's a quiz for all of you. Now, if Scrat were asked to fill in these blanks, I think it's coming up on the screen, if he was asked to fill in the blanks to this phrase, what do you think his answer would be? <laughs> now, regardless of what your answers may be, you all know that it's acorn-related, right? So you see all the perils and the dangers and, 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 and all the hardship that uh, Scrat goes through in order to preserve that one acorn clearly tells us that his reason for living and dying is obviously his acorn. So if we're speaking in Scrat terms this morning, what I'm asking all of you uh, at home and in the house is, um, what is your acorn in life? We start off by saying the automated answer is Jesus, isn't it? But is it really Jesus? Well, today, we'll be examining the words of a man whose life was truly wrapped up around Jesus. And let's pray that the Holy Spirit will give us insight into, uh, into these man's words so that we'll be able to understand what it, what it really means to live a life of true significance. Uh, can I invite all of us to pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray and thank you for the privilege of bringing your word to our brothers and sisters and friends who are gathered here and online this morning. I pray that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, the man that I'm talking about is nonetheless, you should be able to guess, lived 2,000 years ago. His name is uh, the Apostle Paul. I think there's a picture of him coming up on the screen. Now, the Apostle Paul, of course, started off, right, when he's introduced in the Bible, he was a chief a persecutor, right, of the Christian faith. He threw Christians into prison. He had Christian, Christian blood on his hands, right? And he thought that all that he did, right, was in the name of God, that he was doing God a favor. Until, of course, the risen Christ met Paul on the road to Damascus, and his world changed 180 degrees. Paul became the apostle of Christ to the Gentiles, but in doing so, he lost his reputation, he lost his status, he lost the respect that he used to have and the comfortable life that he used to have, right, as, as, a, as a Jewish religious leader. And right now, even as we look into God's Word, we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30 this morning. So if you have your Bible app, you can open that. If you, you're old school and you like Bibles, you can open to that page as well. As we read Philippians 1, we actually find that Paul is writing this letter and he is sitting in prison because of Jesus Christ. Paul has spent his whole life proclaiming the gospel of Christ, having lost all things and considered all things lost compared to the, the glory of knowing Jesus. And right now, he is sitting in prison and he's writing to a group of Christians, right, who are in Philippi, whom he loves. Now, I, I, I used to have a very close friend. He's gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, and he spent a lot of his early life going in and out of prison. And I remember one of the things that he actually said to me is this. Prison is a very good place to think and to reconsider your life decisions. So let's see what the Apostle Paul was thinking, right? As he writes this letter, as he sits in prison, writing to a group of Christians whom he loves very much. We look at Philippians 1 verses 12. It reads, 
I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, I don't know about you, huh? but I know that if I was sitting in prison, I'll be thinking about how to survive, right? Maybe I won't be brave enough to think how to escape, huh? but I'll definitely be thinking about how to survive. Some of you who are bolder might be thinking, where can I possibly escape, right? Or perhaps some of us might be, you know, uh, um, experiencing thoughts of self-pity. Oh, Jesus, I do so much for you. Look, I'm so charmed I end up up here, right? Maybe some of us might be asking the question, was it all worth it? Let's look again at Paul's words in verses 12 to 14. We don't find any semblance of self-pity or self-regret or even fear. Instead, Paul is filled with thankfulness, right? The gospel of Christ, which has in some sense led him to be in chains, is something that he has not stopped declaring even while he is in captivity. Paul wasted no time letting the imperial guards know why he, was, why, he, why he was actually in prison. He was in prison for Christ. Paul continued to proclaim and declare the gospel even while he was in captivity to those who were around him, that is the imperial guard. And what's more amazing is that Paul is so thankful to God. Why? Because the Christians, Christian brothers who knew of his imprisonment for Jesus became bold and were able to step out without fear to preach the gospel to those who were around them. And for that, Paul is filled with joy. If I were to ask Paul, what is the acorn of your life? And he was standing here this morning, he would say, it is Jesus and his gospel. And Paul is, Paul is telling us that the, the gospel is worth suffering for. Now, I'm not even talking about a loss of freedom, but very often for us uh, uh, as Christians, whenever we encounter um, serving Christ and it causes us perhaps a bit of discomfort, maybe some of our time, having to sacrifice a bit of energy, having to make maybe certain tough decisions, we find ourselves being very calculative, right? We start keeping score with Jesus, telling him, Lord, all these things I've done for you. Have we ever once stopped to consider we are privileged to be able to give up and lay down our lives for the sake of Christ and His gospel. I, um, I preach quite often to young students, some of them from university, and one of the questions that I get most often is this. Uh, they will ask me, how, how is it that you are able to share Christ? Because evangelism is one of uh, Daniel's, Daniel's and my passion. How, you, how is it that you are able to share Christ to strangers who are around you? Most of them are gripped with fear because if they were to speak of Christ to their friends, they are afraid that their relationships, right, their comfortable relationships will be affected. I remember very distinctly that there was a full-time worker who shared with me his struggle. He said that when strangers he encountered asked him what he did for a living, he felt very hesitant to tell them that he worked as a Christian full-time worker. So he would prefer to say that he worked as a something else. Dear friends, is the gospel truly the acorn for your life? If we are able to say 
that the fact that Jesus has died for us and has risen again, and that this message is the power of salvation to all who believe, then we will be able to give up our comfort, to give up our time, to give up our energy, and even our freedom in order to serve Christ and the advancement of His gospel. One of the joys that uh, I've had, I think Andrea has also had, is working with young people and sometimes seeing the way that they amaze us with their, with their uh, Christ-like examples. Daniel and I were catching up with a former SU intern who is now studying in the US and he was telling us this very interesting story. Right? So one day he got a call and this call was from a scammer. Right? But this young man, obviously, he probably is a bit younger, so he was a bit uh, naive. And the scammer told him that he wanted to give him a refund for a particular book subscription or something like that. So he says, I'm from a reputable company. Uh, and so this young man uh, immediately started conversing with this scammer. And along the way, the scammer had somehow gained some form of control over this young man's computer and managed to convince this young man that in the process of this refund, the young man had accidentally taken 10,000 US dollars from the company's account to his personal account. And now he had to return it. Now, of course, this sent the young man into a panic and the scammer began asking this young man for all his personal details. And because this young man was in a panic, he was giving all his personal details until uh, a university friend walked up, heard, overheard the conversation and said, this is a scam, you need to put the phone down. So this young man put the phone down and what ensued next was the normal thing, like, call up the banks, change your security password, make sure all the money is still in place. right? But at the end of the whole ordeal, what this young man did next was immensely unthinkable. You know what he did? He picked up the phone and he called back the scammer. And what was even more amazing is the scammer picked up the phone. And so this young man said to the scammer, I know you tried to scam me and I want to tell you that it caused me a lot of anxiety. You know what the scammer said? He apologized. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, I am so sorry, I have to do this because I need to feed my family. Now what the young man told this scammer was, was actually really encouraging. He said, I want you to know though, that I forgive you. And that's because God has forgiven me by sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Do you know this Jesus? And what ensued was an hour-long conversation of this young man sharing the gospel to someone who just tried to steal 10,000 US dollars from him. So let me challenge all of us this morning. If we say that Jesus is worth living for and dying for, are we prepared to suffer for his sake and for the sake of the gospel? Are we willing to boldly and fearlessly proclaim the message which gives life to a dying world? Now, the Apostle Paul was very happy, right, that even though he was sitting in prison, the gospel is not bound, God's word was going out into all the world, but he actually also was aware that there were two groups of people preaching the gospel for different reasons. Now, if we look at verses 15 to 17, Paul actually names two groups of people. One group of people were preaching Christ out of goodwill and love. Why? Because they saw that Paul was brave enough to stand up for the gospel. This gave them confidence, this gave them boldness, and they went out to proclaim the gospel, right, to uh, the life-saving message to those who were out there. So they were doing it out of love for Paul and love for Jesus. But there was another group 
they were doing it out of envy and selfish ambition. While we are not so clear about the background of why they were, why they were envious, we, we probably can figure that they were jealous because maybe Paul had a very big following. And what they did was they were proclaiming the gospel, right? They seemed to be serving God, right? But the reason that they did that was to inflict Paul, to make him feel even more miserable while he was in prison. Now, sometime last year, you know, trends are very hard to follow with young people. But I realized that when I went to speak on, in online CS with young people, a game that they were playing very often is called Among Us. I don't know if you've heard of this game, right? Among Us is something like mafia, like when you play in a camp. And what, you, what, what happens in Among Us is we have these uh, little creatures that are called crewmates, right? They all look the same. Everybody has a character, like there's a crewmate, right? But among... These crewmates are actually imposters. These imposters look and sound and they do exactly the same thing as the crewmates, except that if you're an imposter, your goal is to kill the crewmates without them knowing, right? And of course, the crewmates have to try to guess who the imposter is. Lah. So Paul here is actually facing what is like an among us situation, right? There are people, right, who are proclaiming the gospel, but they are doing so out of envy to add to Paul's suffering and hardship. So how does Paul respond to this? We look at verse 18, and Paul says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Quite amazing, isn't it? Now that's not to say that Paul wasn't hurt, that he wasn't angered, by uh, the ill will of those who were going out uh, to serve Christ, but with the intention to hurt him. But what Paul is saying here is that at the end of the day, what truly mattered wasn't his reputation, it wasn't his feelings, it wasn't his emotion, it wasn't his self-interest, it was Jesus. And as long as Jesus' name was going out and being proclaimed and people were turning to him to be saved, then Paul could say, I rejoice. The gospel is bigger than our self-interest and our self-reputation. Now, I'm sure if you have been a Christian long enough, um, there would have been uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who perhaps we cannot get along with. Maybe hurtful words have been said in front of us and worst of all, behind our backs. I've known and walked with Christians, some who have become so hurt and so disheartened that they want to give up serving altogether. And maybe some of you know of a fellow Christian who has become so bogged down, right, by hurt and by misunderstandings and, and, uh, and conflicts that they give up walking with Jesus altogether. But here is where God's Word reminds us that if Jesus is worth living and dying for, then He is more. He is much more than our self-interest. He is much more than our hurt feelings. He is much, much more than, than our reputation and our self-interest. I can tell you a true story of a very foolish woman. You see, she was a full-time church worker, right? This is about eight years ago. And she was working, of course, uh, with fellow colleagues, she developed a certain dislike towards one particular pastor. Not for any reason, but you know, sometimes we just develop, we don't like one, one, one person, and we cannot explain why we don't like that person. Right? And so this young woman, she began making this pastor's life very difficult. 
whether it was in meetings, right, whenever he came up with a, with a suggestion or something, she always had something to say about it, right? Something bad, something not nice to say about it. And, and there were times that she had treated him very unkindly. And throughout this whole ordeal of working together, the pastor always responded with love and with kindness. While this foolish woman went on being unkind and being hurtful and being snide, right? Even though both of them were seeking to serve Christ faithfully. In fact, during her wedding, about six plus years ago, this pastor actually helped by being the floor manager for her wedding and he, had, he never had anything ill to say about this woman, only good things about the work that she was doing for Christ. And slowly but surely, as the Spirit worked in her heart, she realized how foolish she was and in her own feeble way, she tried to make up for it. But what she realized, amazingly, was that this pastor never held a grudge against her. Instead, he counted a joy to be able to be a co-laborer in Christ with her. How foolish. Now, if you're saying, wow, this, this preacher is very mean, I'm calling this woman foolish. Let me tell you, I have all the right to call her foolish because she was me. And I'm thankful that God's Spirit has worked in my heart to change me over the years. So, dear friends, if Jesus is truly worth living and dying for, then His gospel is more important than our self-interest. I started by asking you how would Scratch fill in that particular phrase, right, with, blank, with, with, blank, um, with those blank uh, spaces in that phrase. I turn to all of you now, and I ask you to reconsider how you would truly fill in the blank spaces to that phrase. For to me, to live is, and to die is. You see, Paul wasn't a delusional man. He wasn't a masochist. He wasn't somebody who enjoyed suffering, right? In fact, in Paul's letter, he had become, the suffering was so intense that he actually desired to depart and be with Jesus because he said that would be better by far. When we look at uh, verses 18, the second half, all the way up to uh, 23, that's what Paul is actually saying. He says, to, for me, in verse 23, to depart and be with Christ is better by far. However, what gave Paul comfort and assurance in death also gave him the strength and the will to live another day to serve Jesus. And you see that in, in the letter, in the, in the rest of verse 18 up to 26, Paul says, I will choose to remain, I will choose to serve. Why? So that I can have the joy of seeing your progress, he's talking to the Philippians, your progress in the faith. Jesus and the gospel was truly Paul's reason for living and for dying. And Paul says there's no fear in death, isn't it? In Philippians 1 verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knows that if he dies, there is nothing to lose and there's no fear in death because he will be with the Lord. However, if he were to continue living, then every single breath that he took was to be lived for Jesus' sake. The gospel is worth living and dying for. Now, Joel will know, uh, and my colleagues at SU, and of course, people who are close to me will know that uh, Philippians 1 verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, has been a, a verse that has carried me through uh, in a lot of uh, different seasons of my life. I recall that um, when I was in uh, my early 20s, I was studying law in university and ended up in hospital being very ill. I spent about a month between HDU and ICU. 
I was bedridden, but the blessing of that was I was able to read the Bible every day. And one of the books that really brought me encouragement was Philippians. I remember my dad sitting beside my bed, and um, he asked me, what would I do? You know, depending on how this ordeal actually turned out. And I told him, I said, Dad, don't worry. If I die, I will go and be with Jesus. But if I live, I will leave law school and I'll work in church. And my dad, who is a typical Asian man, I want you to complete your studies and all that. He said, if you survive, you do whatever you want. Well, the letter happened. God uh, enabled me to recover. I got the right treatment, got out, left law school, and never looked back. Now, for the young people here, I'm not asking you to leave university. Yeah? <laughs> I'm just saying that in the moment where you meet death face to face, the thing that gives you true comfort is the very fact that you know that your place in heaven is assured. And that's not because of what we have done, but it's because of what Christ has done. We as sinners were helpless and powerless, Romans 5, unable to save ourselves, we're enemies of God, deserving of God's wrath. But God in His love has sent Christ to die on that cross, to carry the weight of our sins, to face God's wrath in our place, so that we who trust in Him can have that assurance of forgiveness and reconciliation. And because, as we celebrated last Sunday, this Jesus had conquered death and come back to life again, has ascended to heaven and will one day return, we know that all who trust in Him will not perish but have eternal life. To die is gain. But in the same way that we have that comfort and assurance so that there's no fear in the face of death, then we too will have to say to live is Christ. About four years ago, when I was encountering and suffering this illness, I was confronted with the book of Philippians again. My eyesight had started to deteriorate and I was praying to God, uh, a very strange prayer, right? I said, God, I've learned to live with pain most of my life, but I cannot imagine how I would be able to serve you if I lose my eyesight. So Lord, please just inflict me with any form of pain. Just don't take away my eyesight. I don't know how I would serve you without it. In hospital, I was struggling to write a SU youth resource, right? Struggling very hard on the book of Philippians, strangely. And I came across this verse once again, and God's Spirit challenged me. Would you be able to say, to live is Christ as a visually disabled person? And every morning as we lined up, you know, in, in University Hospital, right, they would test your eyesight and you see things getting blurrier every day. In fact, one patient was standing in front of me once said, hey, it feels like a prison, yeah? Like doing things again and again. But I can say, together with Daniel, that it's truly by the grace of God that His goodness and His strength has been sufficient to us, even in our weakness. And His power has been made perfect so that He enables us each and every day to be able to make it our goal to say, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So where does that leave us? Now Paul says, saying that I trust in Jesus, saying I know that He died for my sins, saying that I belong to Him, saying that I have eternal life is not enough. God's grace that has been freely given to us demands a response. And so Paul says to the church in Philippi, and the Spirit of God speaks to you and me today, saying, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We are to walk the talk. 
we who have been recipients of grace are to carry this message, this gospel of grace to a world that is dying out there. We are to love one another just as Christ first loved us. Remember, in this age of individualism where it's often think it's just between God and me, that's not true. When Paul talks about living a life worthy of the gospel, he is saying that we are to strive together side by side, not being afraid of our opponents, but standing up as faithful witnesses for Jesus together. It's not something that is done individually, but it's something that is done together as God's people, as we live out our lives for Jesus in response to this gospel that we hold on to. And Paul says something that we need to take home with us. For it has been appointed unto you, not just to believe in Christ, but to suffer for His sake. God has not promised us a life of ease. He's not promised you your best life now. He's given us a much better promise. In Romans 8 verses 28 to 30, Paul, Paul also writes and says that in all things, in tragedies, in joys, in pain, in sorrow, in gains and losses, in triumphs and defeat. God is working all things for the good of those who love Him. What is the ultimate purpose? That we may be transformed more and more into the likeness of His Son so that a world lost in sin and darkness will be able to see Christ in you and in me. So let me say this, dear friends. A life that is truly worth living a life of true significance is one lived worthy of the gospel. Danny and I, we were following up with a young woman who hails from another country just very recently. And uh, she was interested to come to know Jesus more. During our conversation, she told us about a friend that she had met in her home country in university. This young man had encountered Jesus. He had come to trust in him, heard the gospel, gave his life to Jesus. When he went back to university, although it was forbidden in that country to preach the gospel, what this young man did was he was telling everyone in university about Jesus. And in her words, she said, one day the authorities came into university, they took that man away, that young man, and since then nobody had ever heard or seen him. Even his family don't know if he's alive or dead. But dear friends, this man, this young man, who had encountered the grace of Jesus Christ, counted the cost and was willing to give up his life for the sake of declaring Jesus and proclaiming the gospel. And as a result, in years that have passed, this young woman has led her, God has led her on a journey to discover more about Jesus. And so today, I want to challenge each and every one of us to ask ourselves if Jesus is truly the one whom we are living for. If we are able to say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Remember friends, the, life, the only life of true significance is a life lived worthy of the gospel. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. There's a double-edged sword living and active that pierces through our innermost beings that discerns our deepest intentions and desires and thoughts so we pray dear father just that just as your word has gone out breathed out by you this morning that it will teach that it will reprove that it will correct that it will train and it will challenge us 
that we may be those fitted for your good work. Help us, dear Father, with every fibre of our being to desire to be faithful witnesses of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be willing to give up all that we have, even our very lives for the sake of Christ and His Gospel. Give us the boldness. Give us the clarity. Dear Father, give us the strength even as we have full assurance that our lives are in your hands and that there is no fear in death. Help us also to know that each and every day the life that we live is not our own for we were bought with a price that's the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, help us to live each and every day knowing that we belong to you through Him. May we live for the glory of Jesus and Jesus alone. In His name we pray.